The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2015 Twin Cities Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. All right. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to continue to kind of look big picture a little bit, and then be out all afternoon and then tonight we're going to do one one more session tonight that's going to look more at global migration and how that fits into the big picture with all these nations that have come here so uh, open your books to page 11 and uh, uh, Isaac would you open us in word of prayer this morning Um, Father, uh, thank you for uh, good night's rest, Lord, that we uh, can just wake up rejuvenated and um, full of energy to meet the day, Lord. Uh, and I pray that as we dive into your word today and this morning, Lord, and then um, go into um, the different places of, of ethnic um, congregation, Lord, that we would um, be going with an open heart, Lord, and an open um, mindset, Lord, to, to just embrace the culture, Lord, and learn, um, Lord, to, to remember and remind us, Lord, that we're not um, a dominant culture by any means, Lord, that we're not um, superior by any means, Lord, mm-hmm. and, uh, that we would go with humble hearts, Lord, to, to learn and to um, see what you've created, Lord, um, that you've created uh, these different cultures and different people, and to pray that um, we would learn about that, rejoice in it, um, and experience it to its fullest, Lord. So thank you for all these things. Amen. All right. Um, See, we have a math major in here. Do we have any English majors? Oh, okay, right. Because we're going to diagram in sentences. I just got done doing that in summer school. It's going to be a simple diagram, but uh, I'm sure you all love diagramming. You know how to diagram sentences? You've diagrammed it before. All right, so uh, on page seven, we have the Great Commission. well, as it's found in, there's actually, in each of the Gospels, Jesus gives a commission. Matthew, Mark, 16, 15, go to the world, preach the Gospel, Luke 24, we looked at that last night. John, as a father sent me, so I send you, Acts 1, 8. Um, so we're going to look at the Great Commission that's found in Matthew 28, that's generally when we say Great Commission, that's the scripture that comes to mind. Um, I have... Just verse 19 printed there, but um, and that's the main focus. But the verse before that, we look at there, and it starts off with the word, therefore. And what verse comes right before that verse? Why is it saying therefore? All authority. Yeah. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore. So he's giving this command with authority and sending us out. So I want to just do a simple diagram. So in this sentence, who or what is the subject? You. Okay, a you. It's you. It's it's an understood you, right? So when it's a, a, a command, when it's a command, you know, if I say... Isaac might say, go take out the trash. It's understood that it's you, go take out the trash, right? So who's, who's this command actually being spoken to? Okay, the disciples. And who else? All of us, right? And how do we know that? How do we know it really does specifically apply to us? Well, verse 20 says, And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so yes, we're speaking to the disciples, but it says I'm with you until the very end of the age. Well, is it the end of the age yet? No. So the you there, till the end, I'm with you until the end of the age, is not only the disciples, but who else? You and you. Okay, so this is spoken to us. TV freaks out sometimes. 
So you, okay, so then what's the, uh, what's the, what we call the, what's the imperative verb there? What's the verb giving the command, the primary command there? Go. Go. No. Make. <laughs> Don't feel bad if you said go. Every, almost every team that comes says go, because that's generally how we look at this command with the primary verb is go. Will? Like you will go and make? Um, going in the Greek is kind of in this, this present, like, as you're going. But the primary verb there is not go. It's make. Now, before we go on, let me just say, with go, there's a couple problems when we look at this verse and see the primary command is go. All right, first problem is, is when we read it as a command to go, then it kind of gets on our mindset that it's an evangelism command. Go and evangelize. And it's not a command just to make converts, right? It's much, much more than that. So if it's just a command to go and evangelize, it falls way short of what the command is telling us. Second problem with seeing the primary command is go is that then anything that gets involved going gets called missions. And then what's happened is we have this huge all-inclusive definition of missions. And everything that's involved in going gets called missions. And we miss what the, what the task really is. Um, you can tell what a church's definition of missions is by looking at their budget, their missions budget, and who and what do they support in the missions budget. Because the missions budget tends to be this catch-all. Because this command, go, when we see it as go, it's a catch-all thing. So we support the, the guy that directs the local camp, church camp, is in the missions budget. And the uh, chaplain at the jail is in the missions budget. And, you know, everything gets thrown in there. And then what gets pushed aside or gets very small is, is what the primary command here is. So the imperative verb... I can preach all day on uh, So the, pri the, the imperative verb there is make. Okay, make. Now, this verb is also a transitive verb. Okay, what's a transitive verb? There's a direct object that comes afterwards. Yeah, it's a verb that can't stand alone. Something or someone has to receive the action of that verb. So it's, it's the, a, a direct object. So who or what is receiving the action of the word make? You can't just say, you make, because if I say, you make, you're thinking what? <laughs> right? So what receives the action of make? Disciples. Good. And so, based on this, um, you could just do a search on church mission statements. In almost every church you come up with is going to say something about their mission is to make disciples. Okay? Now, um, there's a little bit of problem with this. Uh, I have a Bible that's uh, called a Greek Hebrew study Bible. And I, I like this Bible because it has a lot of the words many, many of the words in there. After the word, there's a number. And you look that number up in the back of the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it tells you the Greek or Hebrew word, right? And so, it's too small for all of you to see it, but I took a picture out of my uh, Greek Hebrew study Bible. And so notice, see all these numbers, right? So you look those numbers up in the back, and you can see the Greek word. So, Disciples, but notice make disciples, and then a number, but make disciples is underlined. Okay, so the reason that is underlined is because this uh, noun verb combination in the original is is just one word. So if we look up thirty four eleven in the back of the Bible and look at the Greek, this is the Greek word math e two o. Or something like that. That's all Greek to me. <laughs> that was a bad joke. <laughs> Notice what part of speech that is. What is it? 
It's a verb. So, so this noun verb combination in the original is a verb. So disciples as a noun is not in there. All right. So with this with this information, let's kind of re-diagram. Does it change the subject? No. No. Good. Okay. So it's subject is still you, but now. What's the imperative verb? To make disciples. Yeah, so it's it's like it's using the word disciple but as a verb. Okay? So you disciples the action, it's an action verb of making a disciple. So it's using the word disciple as a verb. You disciple. Now if I say you disciple, we have the same problem we did with make, right? You disciple what or who? All right. So if we go back, what's what or who is the direct object here? Nations. Okay. It's nations, and this isn't the way to correctly diagram, but I'll just for the sake of emphasis, and not just some nations. It says all nations, right? Now notice the word nations also has a number there, 1620. So if we look that word up in the back, 1620, what's the word? Ethnos, right? Ethnos, ethne. Gentile, a people or people's nation. Almost every time in Scripture that you see the word Gentile or nations or, or, or people, it's translated from this Greek word ethnos. Now, what English word do you suppose we get from the word ethnos? Ethnic, right? So, really, all nations could even correctly all people groups. Disciple all people groups. So, now, the nations are here. But it's reduced to a prepositional phrase and really loses its emphasis. And so, we can look at the primary command as, you make disciples, or we can look at it as, you disciple all people groups. Now, is there... Is there a lot of difference between these two statements? The implications are completely different, aren't they? So if we, if we see this primary command as make disciples, okay, who's the focus of you make disciples? Or who's the focus on making disciples among who? Individuals, right? People. Any people. Okay? So then the question is, do we have to leave the comforts of home to obey this? You make disciples. Are there plenty of lost people in Minneapolis and St. Paul or wherever you come from that are lost and need to know Jesus and be taught how to follow him? Absolutely, right? So do we have to leave the comforts of home to obey that? Not really. Is it something we can measure? Not really, right? Seven billion people in the world? It's not really something we can measure. It's... And so if it's not something we can measure, is it something we can complete? It's, it's something we can do, but when are we... It's not really... It's something we think in terms of finishing a task that can be finished. And so there's a real lack of urgency. But... If we see it correctly, and it's you disciple nations, the focus has shifted now to who or to what? The yeah, the nations. All nations, all people groups. So then the question says, will it require that some leave the comfort of home to obey this mandate? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> we have to. 
Some will have to leave if we're going to obey this mandate. Is it something that can be measured? Yes. Anybody know how many people groups in the world today? There are a lot of people who invest a lot of time in researching these things because they take this command seriously that we're to disciple all nations. Any idea how many people groups? Over 16,000. All right. The country of Laos that I lived in is about 7 million people. Um, only about 2.5 to 3 million of those people are Lao people in the country of Laos. There's over 140 different people groups in the country of Laos. So half of the population are Lao, but the other half are another 139 different people groups. And research then tells us that over 6,500 of those are what we call unreached. What is an unreached people? Oh, Brad, you asked, we got the definition on the wall. An unreached people group is a people group among which there is no indigenous. What does indigenous mean? Native. Native. It's coming up from within, driven from within. So there's an unreached people group is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group. Generally, they say about 2% or more. 2% is kind of the tipping point. If there's 2% Christian within that people group, that's, that's the tipping point where they have enough numbers for a movement to reach that people. So that means that 6,500 of those people groups have uh, a less than 2% population. Now, under the category of unreached people group, there's another category called unengaged people group. And so researchers tell us that out of the 6,500, 3,100 of those are what we call unengaged, meaning they have no known on-site active church planning underway. Basically, they don't have missionaries. Nobody is there learning their language, learning their culture, and finding a way and putting together an intentional strategy to plant churches among them. 3,100. Do you find that hard to believe? That after the command that Christ gave us to disciple all nations, that's the task that has been given to us, the church, to complete before he comes back. And yet, 3,100 still have not even a missionary there trying they say that Hindus, there's 34% of Hindu people groups, 43% of Buddhists, and 59% of Muslim people groups are <coughs> unengaged. 1,108 Muslim people groups, no missionaries. Um, another way that we can define unreached people group. We're not talking about people who are lost and don't know the Lord. We're talking about people who are lost and don't know the Lord and there's nobody who speaks their language that can tell them. There is no church that exists. There is no, uh, not a large enough group of people within that people group, or within that tribe or nation to, to reach themselves. That's an unreached people group. When I'm riding through the city on my bike and I just look around me and I see mobs of people mobs of people and looking into their faces and remembering to look into their faces and um, thinking, is there one of these people, do one of these people know Jesus? Probably not. Probably not. If what you want to do is change people's hearts and change millions of people's hearts, this isn't something that you can do in the flesh. So prayer is really the lifeblood of our work around the city, seeing so many students around uh, 11 and a half million people as I commute. The whole train is filled with people and the reality that the less than 1% of them are Christian. Just, that's what really breaks my heart. And seeing the need for the gospel here. The call 
core of the gospel is life on life. It's people touching other people. And if there's anything we can do, it's to get the people that are that are here connected with the people that are there. unchurched but unreached there's a difference right unchurched they don't go to church they're not saved maybe they haven't even clearly heard the gospel but they could they have access they're just as lost but but the key is as somebody in a faraway country that lives out in the jungle has never heard the name of Jesus just as lost but the, but the difference is access so Something can be measured? Yes. And so is it something that can be completed? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not only can it be, it will be. We looked at last night, right? Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then last night we looked at Revelation 7, 9, multitude in heaven from every from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. So not only can it be, but it will be. It is doable, it is finishable, and it will be finished. So, completing the task, it will require that in every single one of the people groups on earth, at some point in history, there will be a movement of baptized and obedient disciples capable of evangelizing their entire people group. Until there are such movements, we have not completed the mandate Christ gave us. There is a global implication to our faith. Right? The Great Commission is spoken to who? Us. And the task we've been given is to disciple all nations. This was a picture taken in a church. What comes to mind when you read that? In light of what we just heard, just looked at. Missing nations. Yeah. It's not incorrect, but it's incomplete. It's not just about making disciples. It's about discipling nations. So how do you disciple a nation? Go rent a really big house and invite them over to do a house. No, that is more tested. So, there are some other words there in that commission that give us some clues. Now, we talked about the word go, or kind of as you are going. Kind of a participle, modifying the verb. So, how do we disciple a, a nation, a people group? Well, there's going, and there's two more words with I-N-G. Going and what? Baptizing. Baptizing. And then... Can I hear it? Teaching, right? And what do we teach new believers? What does it say there? To obey all these commandments. Yeah. Don't just teach them the commandments. Discipleship is not about just a lot of knowledge. Most of us have been educated way beyond our obedience already. Right? But teaching them to obey these commands. So look at these and think to yourself, okay, so you go and, and sharing the gospel and people come to Christ and then you baptize them, identifying them as a follower of Jesus, that new life, resurrected into new life, and then... Gather together, study the Word of God, and learn how to obey Jesus. So, you have a bunch of believers who have been baptized, identifying themselves as followers, and they meet together regularly, study the Bible, figure out how to follow Jesus. What does that sound like? The church. The church. Exactly. Good, I thought you were going to say campus outreach. <laughs> the church, right? And so I think the way we disciple a nation is we go plant churches. The plant churches, the plant churches. And that's the focus, and that's the emphasis. And digging wells, and building schools, and hospitals, and 
human trafficking and all these justice issues, all of those things are important, but they really need to be met or connected, the needs met connected to church planting and planting the church because that's what's going to reach the people group. That's what's going to transform a people group, a community, a society. When we moved to Laos, there were brothels, a bunch of them, in the city we were in, right? And as a team, we talked about that need. But we said, you know what? This people group is unreached. They have no church. That's our focus. Mm-hmm. And so we began planting a church. And the church was planted there. And the man who runs the church, a guy named Bun Hung, him and his wife lead that group. And Bun Hung, he used to go to those brothels. But he doesn't anymore. Because the gospel transformed him. And then his older brother, Song Sai, wealthy, one of, if not the wealthiest man in town, went to the brothels, um, lived that lifestyle. And Song Sai came to Christ. And he no longer goes to the brothels. In Vingja, where there is an established church, has a ministry where people from the church, local people there, go into those brothels and into those places and, and bring girls out and have a home and help them. And that's happening because the church is there. We need to plant churches that will meet the needs of that society. And so that's how we're going to finish this task. That's how we're going to disciple all nations. So it's, it, the, the task, I think, is clear. Uh, we looked at it in the Old Testament, that from the beginning when God scattered the nations, his heart has been to draw those nations back to himself. Jesus, and on a weekend like this, we don't have time to look at all the, the, the whole life of Jesus it wasn't he did all these wonderful things and then at the last minute before he went to heaven said, oh, by the way, guys, um, go reach the nations. No, several things. That was like the crescendo of his ministry when he gave that commission to go reach the nations. Peter, in Acts chapter 3, reminds the Jews they had, they had healed the crippled man on the way into the temple and they're brought before the people And he reminds them that you have been blessed to be a blessing to the nations. He reminds his Jewish listeners. And then Paul, over and over and over again, Paul speaks to this. And I want to spend just the rest of our time here in uh, Romans 15. So take your Bibles and turn to Romans 15. And I want to look at specific things that Paul uh, addresses when it comes to um, finishing the task and the strategy to finishing the task. Now, Paul wrote the book of Romans. We're all agreed on that, right? And why? Why did he write the book of Romans? Look at verse 23 and 24. Read that and, and... Tell me, why did he write the book of Romans? Hey, Brian. What does he say there? He's leaving where he's at, and he's going to Spain, and he's going to pass through Rome. And what's he asking them to do? Assist him. Assist him. Mm-hmm. Romans is a letter to the church in Rome, and it's a missionary support letter asking for support, inviting the church in Rome to join him in God's story of reaching the nations. That's what the book of Romans is. And so understanding 
the context of that helps us understand why Paul said some of the things he did in, in the book of Rome. Because he's going to a place, in fact, he said, my ambition is to preach the gospel Christ is not known. And looking at 6,500 people groups that are unreached and 3,100 of them that have no missionaries, we have to ask the question, what happens to people who never hear the name of Jesus when they die? Mm -hmm. What happens to those people? And so Paul, because he's going to such a place where Christ is not known, he addresses that in this missionary support letter. And so he opens up the letter in chapter 1 saying, Since the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God have been seen, so that men are without excuse. I think in chapter 2 he talks about how the whole world will be held accountable to God. And then, not only are the heathen lost, but he says even you Jews, who claim to be a, a, a child of Abraham because of birth, that doesn't save you. And he says, there is none righteous. No, not one. And he goes on to talk about that it's only through faith in Jesus. And see what he's doing? He's laying out his, his case and helping this church understand the priority of places where Christ is not yet known, where there is no church. Until we get to chapter 10, and he gives some of the greatest news ever in chapter 10, verse 13, when he says, For whosoever, there's no difference between Jew, Greek, Jew, and Gentile, anybody, any people of any ethnic group who call on the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. But then he follows that with some sad news, right? But how can they call on somebody they don't believe in? And how can they believe in somebody that they've never heard of? And so how can they hear of somebody unless somebody goes and tells them? And how can somebody go and tell them unless they are sent? Right? So I'm guessing this is where Piper came up with the phrase, go, send, or disobey. That's what Paul, Paul said at first. John Piper didn't say it first. Okay. <laughs> So, and he lives two blocks away, so you can go tell him, hey, you didn't. <laughs> but I always say, go send, disobey, John Piper. So he's always attributed to actually Paul said first, right? He's telling the church in Rome, listen, I'm going. I want you to send me either go or send or disobey. And so that helps us to understand this letter. He's saying, our priorities to go where people have not yet heard of Jesus. And so, it doesn't say everybody goes, but it does say everybody needs to be involved. All right? So then we get to chapter 15. And I uh, want to make some, some, some distinctions or comparisons here with some things that Paul says. So starting in, uh, you're on, we're on page 13 right now. First thing Paul makes is, is the distinction between call and command. Okay? So look what, look what Paul says, uh, Romans 15, let's pick it up in verse 8. He says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what's the promise that God made to those three men five times? We looked at it last night. Uh huh. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. So Jesus came to confirm the promises made to the to the patriarchs, so that and this promise was made so that the Gentiles and that were Gentiles there is what in the Greek ethnos people groups, so that the people groups may glorify God for His mercy. Okay, and then he says, as it is written, and look what he does. He's going to quote four scripture verses without a concordance, without chapter, verse, any of that, right? He didn't have that. Those were added later. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. 
the nations, the people groups, I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So he quotes out of 2 Samuel, and then he quotes out of Deuteronomy, and then he quotes out of Psalms, and he says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And then he quotes out of Isaiah, and he says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. So, Paul quotes out of, out of the books of the law, books of history, books of poetry, and the books of, prof of the prophets. What point is he trying to make? It's all been part of the big story. Exactly. Exactly. If Paul would have been in Rome saying this instead of writing in a letter, I think what Paul would have done is he would have, in the room, put a string across the room and hung verses on it. I'm pretty convinced of that. <laughs> all right? But Paul's doing the same thing I did last night. He's laying out the story, right? He's laying out the story, and he says, this is what the big picture is all about. Notice what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't talk about his call on Damascus. He doesn't, he doesn't mention that. He's making a very important point. He does that for our sakes and for the sake of people in Rome. He says, this is the story. This is what God is doing. And we are invited to be a part of that story. And it's a global story. All right, I want to just illustrate something here. Um, let me invite you if, uh, to stand up if you can't see, or maybe some of the front, if you can see, sit down. Some of the back, stand up. But I have a... A map here. I just want to make sure you get where you can you can see. We have a map here. We have the this area of the world marked off the 1040 window. So some things I want to point out about the 1040 window. First one is this: um, is that two out of every three people in the world live in the 1040 window. All right. Now, tell me, what, what do you imagine life is like in the 1040 window? Crowded. Crowded. <laughs> I love that. That's one of the first answers we would use. Obviously, two out of three people is crowded, right? Exactly. And a lot of problems that come along with that. What else? Diverse. Okay, very diverse, right? I mean, Laos alone, 140 people groups. Vietnam is like that. China is like that. On and on. What else? Looks warm. <laughs> okay. A lot of difficult climates. Oh man, Laos. Laos is warm, but we lived 4,000 feet on the plateau, 4,000 feet elevation. We had pine trees. We had frost in the in the winter time. Uh, didn't really have humidity. I mean, I'd move. I was last living in San Diego before we went to Laos, and the weather was pretty similar. <laughs> it was nice because if you go down from the mountain, it'd be hot. What else? What else do you imagine about life in the 1040 window? Anybody? There's lots of poverty. Okay. A lot of poverty, right? In fact, they say 85% of the, of the poorest of the world's poor are mm -hmm. there. What else? Lots of semi oppressive governments. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's all, all kinds of, of wars and corruption um, and all that kind of stuff. What else? Not a lot of developed countries either. I mean, it's already poverty and corruption, but a lot of third world countries. Yeah. Just third world, difficult, difficult living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Statistics also tell us that. Uh, only, only 1% of Bible distribution is aimed at the 1040 window. So, in other words, there are 2,000 languages today. Okay. Oh, how many languages in the world? Anybody know? 
1600. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good point, though. Some of those people groups are very different culturally and ethnically, but yet have the same language. Seven thousand. They say there's seven thousand languages spoken in the living languages in the world today, and um, two thousand of those are still waiting for a Bible translation project to even begin. There's probably about 2,300 that are in progress right now, but there's 2,000 that haven't even started. 2,000 Bibleist people that are still waiting for a translation to even begin. 1,600 of those in Asia. It's like there's 500 languages in Indonesia. I think t- over 200 in China, or the 300 in China, maybe 200 in India, something like that. Um, so just so many, so many languages waiting for translation to begin. Then research tells us for every dollar given in the U.S. church, that three cents of that goes to places that already have the gospel, and one penny goes to reaching the people here. So out of every dollar, we give three cents to places with the gospel and one penny. 96 cents stays at home, three cents and one penny to the 1040 window. Now, if you're on your church's missions committee and a young person comes to you and says, I want to go, where should I go? Based on what we've learned last night, this morning, in this, where would you send them? We've got to, right? (laughs) Or if you were going to go to the nations, where should you go? The the, the priority has to be on finishing this task. But statistics tell us that out out of every 10 people sent out of U.S. churches, how many go to the 1040 window? One. One. Only one out of ten. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you think only one out of ten goes to the 1040 window? Give me some reasons. It's hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to pioneer. Good point. There's, there's nothing going on, so you, you've got to pioneer, and that's difficult. You might not be allowed to go. Okay, a lot of these countries are what we call CAN countries. You know, anybody know what a CAN country is? CAN stands for Creative Access Nation. So you can't get a missionary visa to live there. You've got to have a, a platform, some kind of a job or a skill. Laos, communist country, I couldn't get a missionary visa, so I had to have a job. Now, unfortunately, I've been a pastor, not unfortunately, but I've been a pastor my whole life. Did it come out right? I've been a pastor my whole life. So I didn't really have a marketable skill that a communist country was looking for. And so I ended up teaching English. But I look out of this crowd and I say, you guys graduated or almost graduated. There's a lot of marketable skills in this room of, of studies and, and majors and things that you guys have acquired skills and training and degrees in that can get you into those places. You were going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say most, a lot of those countries are openly hostile to Christians. Uh, okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we see the news, you know. Um, ISIS made uh, three attacks on three different uh, continents yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of danger. Anything else? How about this one? Not, not every person who goes on a short-term missions trip ends up as a career missionary. But almost every career missionary went on some kind of short-term trip, and that's where they were maybe first awakened. So, but where do we send the majority of our short-term missions teams? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Mexico, right? Uh, Jamaica, Bahamas, Haiti, 
I mean, we've ruined Haiti. Haiti is far worse off than it was 20, 30 years ago after we've sent all these short-term teams. Um, yeah, places where the gospel, more than four out of five people at a, at a, at a price tag of, of at least $2 billion a year, they estimate, is spent on short-term missions. And more than four out of five of those go to a place already reached with the gospel. And so, if somebody's going to go to the world, they're probably going to go to that place they first visited. You go there, it's your first cross-cultural experience, you fall in love with the people, uh, there's a missionary there inviting you to come back, they need help, and so... As a result, we have 9 out of 10 that go. One reason that nobody's mentioned yet, and it's this. Nobody said anything about calling. And yet, <laughs> that's the reason people use for why they don't go. I haven't called. If, if it's all about calling... The one reason only one in nine out of ten go outside the 1040 window is God has accidentally <laughs> called too many people other places and forgot about, like the people in India and Saudi Arabia and places like that. Right? Understand this the 1040 window is not God's fault. It's not God's fault. It's either Christians who are unaware or are aware and just resistant. Or disobedient. We have way too many Christians that are waiting for a call instead of obeying a command. Hudson Taylor, you guys heard Hudson Taylor, mm -hmm. said the Great Commission is not a suggestion to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. And I'm pretty sure Hudson Taylor understood the Great Commission as all peoples. Um, so that's why I said some of you last night that said, oh, I'm thinking about maybe overseas. Then go. <laughs> You've been given the command. If God's put that in your heart. Then start making plans. Then go. In fact, if, if everything we've heard, I think maybe people say, well, I'm planning to stay, but I'm willing to go. Maybe we should flop that and say, I'm planning to go, but willing to stay. I'm planning to obey and go. So, all right, have a seat. So, Paul addresses that first issue. He makes that the distinction between command and call. He says, listen, people, we have the command to take the gospel to every people group. And I'm going. Would you join me? And so... Even if we don't personally go to the unreached peoples, our commitment and our responsibility to reaching them should be no less. The, this, yeah, the Great Commission is to all of us. Number two, he makes a distinction between, uh, well, let's look Romans, back in Romans 15. Let's pick it up in verse 15. And Paul writes this, I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, he says, I've written you quite boldly on some points. I think those are the points we made that, that he makes through the letter. Whole world held accountable, men are without excuse, none righteous, these kinds of things. But he says, I'm, I'm reminding you of these because... God, God, the grace God gave me to be minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, to the nations, the people groups. And look how he describes his role, his job as a missionary. He says, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, the nations, might become an offering acceptable to God. Paul says, how do the Gentiles, how do the nations become an offering to God when they're gathered as worshipers? Paul said, my role as a missionary, and I love this as a definition of missions. Missions is about gathering worshipers for God. 
That's what it is. Right? Uh, how many read Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper? It's classic. Got to read it. First, first statement, first sentence in that book says this. Missions exist because worship doesn't yet among all peoples. And his, his point he's trying to make is this, is that missions is not the ultimate thing because man is not the ultimate. Worship is the ultimate thing because God is, worship, is, is ultimate. And he goes on to talk about that, that really the goal of missions is worship. The goal of missions is worship, gathering worshipers. But he also says that missions is the fuel it's the motive, it's the fuel, it's what drives us to go to the nations. How many of you have heard of the Moravian Church? Okay, so you kind of know the story. Let's watch. Uh... Wrong video, here we go. Watch, it. watch this quick short video about the Moravian Church. It was the early 1700s when John Leonard Dober and David Nitchman first heard about the island. They were at church on an ordinary Sunday morning and the pastor was speaking about a place in the West Indies where there had never been any gospel witness. He told of a man who lived on an island who was an atheist slave owner with about 3,000 slaves, all of whom would live and die there without a chance to ever hear of Jesus. Deeply disturbed by what they heard, these two men in their early 20s made the decision to go to this place to reach these slaves with the gospel. Their plan, sell themselves into slavery so that they could be among these men. Sell themselves into slavery. These guys... They weren't heading on a short-term mission trip. These men left to go and live and suffer as slaves, and they had no idea if they would ever come back. Their families and friends, in large part, were all against their decision, and yet John and David prepared to go. And so the story goes, these two young men arrived at the pier to board the ship, their families and friends all there to say goodbye. The men boarded the ship and set out, and... As the gap between the shore and the ship widened, the two men linked arms and one of them raised his hand and shouted across the gap these final words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering.
So we looked at that foundational promise that was made to the patriarchs and the children of Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. We looked at the end picture of every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. We've seen an intentional plan of how to do that. But the motive of it all is this incredible purchase. Revelation chapter 5 said, you are worthy to open the scrolls because with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. They are the reward of your suffering. That was the motive for these men to go. Paul in his Roman in his letter to the Romans says in chapter 1 verse 5 I go for the sake of his name it's a God centeredness we need to hurry along um, let's look, look at 19 chapter 15 verse 19 so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Paul makes an incredible statement here, doesn't he? He said, I've fully proclaimed the gospel. Now, does he mean everybody in that area is saved? Yes or no? Does he? He's coming here to tell us himself. <laughs> does he even mean that everybody has fully heard and understood the gospel? No, but they could. The gospel, this area is full of the gospel. Right? And so... What does he say? Now there is no more place for me to work. Now does he say there's no more work? No. He doesn't say there's no more work to be done. He knew there was work to be done, and he left Titus in, in Crete, and he left Timothy in Ephesus to do the work of an evangelist. So, so, but he definitely saw this distinction between evangelism and missions. Um, that evangelism is about reaching more people. And there were more people in that area to be reached. But there were Christians and churches there to do the job. But he also understood that missions is about reaching more peoples. And that's why he had to go to Spain. Because there were peoples there that had not yet heard of Christ. And so not only the distinction between evangelism and missions, but between reached and unreached. The task, the missionary task is finished here. So I need to move on. Because he says, there's no more work for me to do. Who's me? Paul, the missionary, right? There's evangelism work to be done, but missions work is done. I need to go on. And then as we already talked about, like in Romans 10, 13, he talks about goers and senders, go, send, or disobey. And then the priority. What had hindered Paul from going to Rome? Verse 22, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. What, what hindered him from going there? What is the this is why? What's this? What's it referring to? Because there are those in his area who haven't been told the gospel. Yeah, yeah. He says, my ambition to preach the gospel Christ is not known. That ambition came from Scripture because he quotes Scripture right after that. And he says, it's this reason. This is the reason I've been hindered from coming to you and why I'm going on to other places. Because you're there, the gospel's there, the church is there. I've, I've wanted to come and fellowship and kick back and hang out and eat and have potlucks and enjoy life. But I've been hindered from doing that because of this biblical ambition. So we have to ask ourselves, what hinders us? What hinders us from fulfilling our dreams and our desires. Is it this? So, 
top of page 14, for nearly 2,000 years, men and women of God have been obedient to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. How many of you have read a mission biography before? Okay. I encourage you to do that. And just read about those heroes. When I was a freshman in college, I read The Shadow of the Almighty. Anybody know who that's a biography of? Shadow of the Almighty is uh, about Jim Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot wrote it. She just died a couple weeks ago. Jim Elliot, you know the story. Him and four other missionaries were killed, martyred, trying to reach an unreached tribe. I read that book my freshman year, and I decided this is what God, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a martyr. <laughs> that book just so stirred me up. But reading these books about these heroes, these missionaries, these people that packed their belongings in a coffin when they went off to Africa because they didn't plan to return. <laughs> Uh, amazing people have taken the gospel and, into many areas in the church and been successful in spreading the gospel. So there in your book up here. So we see the progress of the gospel. And the areas that are green is where there's a, a, a significant, established significant church presence. Uh, the areas that are yellow, there's a formative or a nominal church. And then the area that is red is where unreached or least reached. And what is that area of the world? 1040 window, yeah. 10 degrees, 40 degrees. And so if we take a closer look at the 1040 window, like the map in there, and that's why you'll see here in your book on letter B, the major religious blocks in these areas are the T is what? Tribal. H is what? Hindu. Hindu, U. Unreligious. M. And B. Buddhist. Right, the thumb. Remember by the thumb. So, in closing, that our job until the end of the age is to disciple all nations. That's what we are to do. So, there is an end. The end is directly related to finishing the task. The task is specific, it's doable, and it's finishable. And as we looked, it will be finished. And so, last thing on page 15, we need to be obedient to the mandate. We also need to be strategic about the mandate. Any questions or comments about any of that this morning? We covered a lot of stuff. But um, it's important that we get some of these foundational things because we're building a, a, a biblical missiology, the biblical theology of missions. And understanding in the big picture for everything that we see and how we uh, view the world as we go out. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.